My name is Greg Poole, one of the pastors here, and uh, this morning I'll be wrapping up a series on prayer that we've been doing for the last few weeks as we prepare to move into this week of prayer. Uh, I'll be preaching from Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, so please turn there. A couple of weeks ago, Bob did a question and answer time, answered some of your questions on prayer. Last week, Ken preached from the book of Isaiah, but I want to look at some of the words of Jesus on prayer. Uh, these, this passage, for if you've been around the church much at all, they're probably familiar words about prayer. However, for me personally, as I took a look at them this week uh, and, and reflected on them, I discovered them to be a real source of energy and motivation to move me into prayer in times that I typically struggle. And so that's my hope for you, that as we take a look at this passage, you will find fresh energy and motivation to pray. So let's read from God's Word. Stand as we hear Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. This is God's word. Let's again look to him in prayer. Father, we ask now that by the power of the Spirit, you would open up our hearts to hear your word. That God, you would show us our need, you would show us our weakness, but you would show us even greater your abundant love and provision for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wince. I just draw back. When I hear another call to prayer, when I hear a sermon, when I hear teaching on prayer, I just draw back. Because it's a sensitive area because I don't pray like I should. And if you're like me, you know you should pray. You know it's good for your spiritual life. You know it makes a difference in the world. You want to pray, but you don't pray. What's going on? Why don't we pray? As the Apostle John puts it in 1 John, we face three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of them are fighting against us in every area of our life. But in particular, they fight against us in the area of prayer. I mean, we live in a world that just screams at us, go, 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 go. Don't stop. You don't have time. There's too much to do. Get it done. And so we never slow down and pause to be still with God and to express our needs and our longings to Him. So we don't pray. We have our enemy, Satan, who stands whispering in our ear just the same way he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. God's not really on your side. He's not really for you. Are you really going to go annoy him one more time with this request? You can do it yourself. And so we don't pray. And then, of course, we face our own flesh, the sinful nature that clings to us. 
The biblical picture of sin for us who are, for we who are Christians, is that the penalty of sin has been done away with. All of our guilt paid for. The power of sin has been broken. We can actually fight back and overcome sin by the power of the Spirit. But the presence of sin will be with us until the day we see Jesus. And sin clings to us. The best description I can think of, it's like walking through a huge spider web. And it's just all over us. And we're trying to get the bits and the pieces off. And it's so thick, it just impedes whatever we want to do. And so as we go to prayer, we've got the cobwebs of sin hanging on us. And we're trying to get them off so we can pray. And we finally just give up. We say, it's not worth it. I've got too many other things to do. I'm not sure it's going to make a difference. I'm not sure he wants to listen to me. So how can we be energized to fight back against sin, the world, and the devil and engage in prayer, life-giving, life-changing prayer? Jesus gives us a picture here in Matthew 7, uh, and he lays out two truths that we need to lay hold of. And if we lay hold of these truths... We will be energized. These two truths are the truth about ourselves and the truth about God. We, the truth about ourselves is we need to see ourselves as, as desperately needy. And the truth about God is we need to see Him as an abundant provider. And when those two truths come together, our desperate need and God's abundant provision, we are energized and propelled into prayer. Let's look at the first one. The first truth is see yourself as desperately needy. To see yourself as someone who is weak and unable. We don't like that at all. We do not want to admit that. But that's the point Jesus is making. There's something about this passage. Um, I don't think I've ever heard it preached or taught. And related to what comes before. It's as if every time I've heard it preached or taught, and I've probably done it too, is I've taken a pair of scissors and I've cut that passage out of the Bible and removed it from any connection to what came before. And it's just this isolated passage that says, ask, seek, knock. But only desperate people are going to ask, seek, and knock. Think about what is going on before we get to these verses. Jesus is getting close to the end of a sermon. He began in, verse, in, ch in chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And he is laying things on us as he paints a picture of the life we're to lead as Christians. What we should look like as Christ bearers. I want you to think about a few of them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, how are you doing on that? Are you able just to make yourself poor in spirit? How about blessed are the meek? Be humble. God, oh, I'm going to make myself humble. I'm, I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm, all I'm doing, I'm thinking about myself. I'm becoming self-centered. I can't make myself humble. Rejoice when you're persecuted. Yeah, right. Don't be angry with others. How's that going? Turn the cheek. Go an extra mile. Love your enemies. 
forgive everyone. Don't draw attention to yourself. But I like attention. I want to be noticed. I want to be seen. Don't love money. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about the things of life. Don't judge. Don't be critical. Do you understand what Jesus is doing? He is just laying it on, laying it on, laying it on. I mean, he's actually, he's demonstrating what he said earlier in the sermon. You must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He is bringing us to a point in this sermon where we are undone, where we realize I can't do anything. We're desperate, we're helpless, we're urgent so that we fall on our knees before God and say, God, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, I need help. And until we get to that point, we will never pray. That's the place Jesus wants us. Is where we're at the place of saying, I can't do anything. Jesus, I need you. God, help me. But what's... What's he pointing out here? When we get there, ask, seek, knock, we receive. We find it's opened. We must be desperate. When I was in Lebanon earlier this year, uh, one of the things that was inescapable, wherever you went, you're driving in a car, you're walking down a sidewalk uh, in Beirut, is the city is overrun with literally millions of Syrian refugees who've escaped the civil war in Syria, and they've come to Lebanon for help. And they have nothing. They can't get jobs. They have no food. And everywhere you go, there are little Syrian refugee children who are asking, seeking, knocking, because they are desperate. You're in your car driving, and even while you're moving, they're running up, banging on your window with their hands up. Give me, give me, because they're desperate. That's the place we need to be if we're going to be people who pray, is we need to be desperate. And when you're desperate, you cry out with everything in you. So how do we get there? So this is what I've been doing this week as I've gone back through this passage. I've just been thinking about who are the people that matter to me? What are the situations and circumstances of life that matter to me? And then I'm just asking, what can I do about it? So think about this. You've got a friend who has depression. Man, you want her delivered. You want her to enjoy the fullness of life. You can talk to her, you can encourage her, but ultimately you can't do anything. You have an adult child who's beginning to make decisions that are less than wise, and you can advise, you can encourage, you can exhort, but you can't do anything except cry out in desperation. You've got a friend in your life group who's facing an incredible medical situation, and you can't do anything. Just go through all those situations of the people you love, the things you care about, and think about how you can't ultimately do anything. And just as Jesus' words left you in despair and helpless 
when it came to all the things he was talking about, let those situations weigh you down until you can't do anything but ask, seek, and knock, and cry out with everything within you. God, if you don't help me, I am undone. If you don't help in this situation, they're undone. Cry out to God. That's where Jesus wants us. And so this week, when you struggle with prayer, take just a moment. Think about those people. Think about those situations and let your helplessness overwhelm you and propel you into prayer so that we might be just like those Syrian children who are racing down the street, banging on car windows, coming up and grabbing hold of your arms as you walk down the sidewalk. We would do that with God. But here's the difference between us and those Syrian refugee children. They do it with no guarantee of a response. We have an absolute guarantee. Look what Jesus says. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Man, what a promise. We have a God who is an abundant provider. We don't ask without hope. We ask with certainty. I want you to think about who this God is. As Jesus is speaking to the people of Israel delivering this sermon and he tells them to ask, seek, and knock. Your Father in heaven will hear you and he will answer you. They have a clear picture of who this God is and their hearts are inflamed with desire to pray because this is a beautiful picture of God. They know who their God is and that there are three truths about God we must lay hold of. If we want to be energized by his abundant provision. And these three truths, if any one of them isn't true, then prayer doesn't work. The first one is he loves us. The second one is he's powerful. And the third is he is wise. So as they hear Jesus preaching and he paints this picture, he says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? He's saying your Father loves far more than any one of you could love. I mean, as a general rule, fathers, as sinful as we are, we want to do good things for our children. And God says, God, Jesus says, God is so far greater in his love. And they have a clear picture. Here is God, the king in heaven, whose great desire is to love his people. His arms are open wide. He wants to embrace his people. He wants to provide for his people. He wants to protect his people. He wants to take care of his people. Jesus is saying, just go ask him. He loves you. When I was in college, every time I came home and got ready to come back to Birmingham from Atlanta for school, I never remember one time. That is, I got ready to leave. My dad didn't reach in his pocket and pull out a $20 bill. And it, that's the equivalent of probably at least $100 nowadays. But he would pull out $20. And he'd say, do you need this just to make sure everything's okay? And I'd go, nah, I'm good, because who wants to be dependent? 
right? That's our whole problem with prayer. Even there, I'd... But he would give me $20. Why would he give me $20? Because he knew two things to be true. One, he knew my checking account was fully funded because he funded it. And he knew I had a credit card in my pocket for emergencies. Why did I need that $20? He just wanted to love me. He wanted to provide for me. He wanted to protect me. He wanted to care for me. How much more your heavenly father wants to give to you if you will ask in your place of need. But then there's a second thing. It's not enough to love. Any of us who are parents or in any situation, we've had people ask us for things, and we love our children. We love people who ask us, but we don't have the ability to respond, right? God is all-powerful. He has the ability to respond to our request. It's not just that he loves us. Love without power is impotence. It's empty. He loves us and he is powerful enough to follow through. As the people of Israel who are in the audience listening to Jesus heard him preach, he says, ask your father. What goes off in their mind is he loves me. And this is my father in heaven. And they know Old Testament history. And their picture of God is that this is the God who spoke the world into existence. This is the God who breathed into clay and man was formed. This is the God who destroyed the earth by flood but preserved the people. This is the God who caused an elderly barren woman to bear a son. This is the God who led his people out of Egypt as a fire by night and a pillar by day. This is the God who divided the waters and allowed them to pass through. This is the God who caused water to flow from the rock. This is the God who sent manna down from heaven. This is the God who caused the caused the walls of Jericho to collapse. This is the God who caused the sun to pause in the sky. This is the God who enabled David to kill a giant. This is the God who raised the widow's son from the dead. This is the God who sent a chariot of fire to take Elijah home. This is the God who enabled men to walk through fire. This is the God who closed the mouths of lions. This is the God to whom we pray. We bring our absolute need to a God who loves us and is powerful enough to act on our behalf to bring about everything good we need so that we become more like Jesus and are enabled to love and enjoy him forever. But there's one more thing. It's not enough to be filled with love. It's not enough to be filled with with power, you need wisdom to act correctly. I actually think my dad made a mistake. Because I think I became presumptive. Like I deserved it. If you lack wisdom, your acts of love, even with power, become dangerous. But God has absolute wisdom. He knows what we need. 
Jesus said, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What Jesus is saying is, hey, if, if you go and ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. He's going to give you what you need. But your father is better even than you. Because sometimes in our confusion, we think stones are bread. And we think serpents are fish. And we go to God and we say, God, I need that. And what we're really asking for is the serpent. But God gives us the fish. It doesn't always look like what we want. Think about it this way. You take your child out to, the, to an amusement park and he says, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. How about some cotton candy? Sure, that's great. We'll do that. The next night, it's supper time. And he says, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. How about some cotton candy? And we go, no, you need real food. See, we're acting with wisdom to say, I'm going to give you the food you really need, not the food you want, because I'm concerned about your long-term health and welfare. See, that's what God in his wisdom does for us. When we ask for things that appear to be good, but yet are dangerous or are, are not helpful, he gives us what we really need. See, we get to come to a God who loves us, a God who's powerful and a God who is absolutely wise. So as you think about that God, allow yourself to be energized to pray. So this week, if you struggle with prayer, reflect on your helplessness. What are the situations? And then bring God to bear on those situations. One of the things you might consider doing is just developing a list of some of the attributes of God. He is powerful. He is loving. He's faithful. He's gentle. He's merciful. He's good. He's present. Whatever they are. And then as you're praying for people, you start talking about that attribute of God and it energizes you because... God really can. He's, he's the one who heals. You use the titles of God. You go, God is a healer. God is a peace, as the one of God of peace, the Lord of righteousness, the Lord of whatever. Go read the Old Testament and find those titles of God. As you're praying for a family that's in disarray, God, would you, the God of peace, be present in this family? And you, it energizes your prayer life because you're connecting something true about God. God, they are in trouble. You as the strong tower be available. But you start painting pictures of God and it energizes your prayer life. Yes, we struggle against sin because we face the world, the flesh, and the devil. But Jesus tells us we can find fresh energy to pray as we realize our desperate neediness and bring it to meet the abundant provision of God who loves us, who's powerful, and who is wise. So let me call you to do that this week as we enter into prayer for this week and the days to come.
Now I want to end with just a little add-on. One of the things that came up a few weeks ago when Bob uh, did his question and answer time is he dealt with a lot of questions, but there were some questions in there from people saying, just what are some ways that I can pray? What are some... I'm a new Christian. I really don't know how to pray. So I want to just talk about a, a few things we can do to help you know how to pray. Just some practical tips about prayer, particularly as we head into this. Some of you already know these things. Sometimes it's just a good reminder. But a few things to think about for prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God about what's going on in our life, what's going on in our world. But here's the unique thing about talking to God. He's invisible. Right? So it's a little different than talking to the person sitting next to you. Because when you're talking to the person sitting next to you, you you see them, you see their facial response, you're locked in, but you're talking to an invisible being. So we have to fight mental drift. I mean, how many of you... Dear God, I love you. I appreciate. Oh, I need to call so and so. They say, Oh God, I, God, I love you. I appreciate. Oh man, I've got to make sure. Right? I mean, it's just your mind is just shooting everywhere. So, a couple of things to do with that. One is, what a great place to waltz. If you're new here, we talk about the gospel waltz. It's it's a, the pattern God gives us to grow spiritually. You repent of your sin. You believe the gospel and you fight for obedience. So in that situation, God, forgive me for being so distracted by something so small when I get to talk to you who are so wonderful. But I thank you that you're good and you forgive me and you want to talk to me. And then you begin to pray. So just waltz in your prayer life in the face of the distractions. But then practically keep a piece of paper there, not your phone. Keep a piece of paper there and if a random thought comes in or something you need, just jot it down, then it's out of the way and you can focus on God. We need to fight our mental drift. One of the things that many people have reported helps is to pray out loud. Just pray your prayers out loud. And it helps keep you focused. Listen, you can do that today. Just put your earbuds on, walk down the street praying out loud. They just think you're on the phone. But you're talking to God. Pray out loud. Another one that I found very helpful through the years is I just write my prayers out. I mean, you talk about helping me focus. Just fully, I write every single word out. And that's just a practical way to fight mental drift. Another thing to do is to find a time and a place that works for you. Now, of course, we can pray at any time, in any place. Paul says we should pray without ceasing, and that, absolutely. It should just weave its way through our life as little situations happen. But we need concentrated, extended prayer. And to do that, find a time and a place that works for you. In Psalm 5, David says, In the, mor- uh, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. Jesus in Mark 1, we, we read of him, said uh, while it was yet dark, he departed into a lonely place and was praying there. For David and Jesus, it was getting up early in the morning. Why did they get up early in the morning? Because they could be alone and things were quiet. The rest of their day was just slammed. The point of this is not telling you you need to get up early in the morning. 
Listen, those passages are descriptive of what Jesus and David did, not prescriptive for what you need to do. But what we can take away principally is that we need to find just a few, at least a few moments during the day where we can have some quiet and be alone. Just some quiet and to be alone. And you need to find what works for you. Some of you are owls. You stay up late at night. And some of you are larks. And you get up early in the morning. And you need to know yourself. Years ago, I had a guy came to my to a 6 a.m. prayer time I had. And he was an owl. But he was faithful as anything to be there at 6 a.m. And it was worthless. Because he's just over there. And he even prays sometimes. you He's just mumbling. You can't tell what he's saying. He didn't even remember. Finally, I said, dude, you got to quit coming. We got to find you an evening prayer time. So you got to know yourself. What works for you? And then you need a place. There's something about setting that orients our mind and our hearts. I mean, just think what, so there have been times I've thought, you know, I just need to start, you know, I can save myself time. I could save money if I did my workouts at home. I could just set up a little gym in the basement or something. It just doesn't work because it's home. It's a place I'm supposed to be comfortable. But there's something magic when I walk in the doors of the gym. It's as if somebody's flipped a switch and I go, I'm supposed to sweat and make my muscles hurt. And that's exactly the way it is when you get a place that's set aside for prayer. That it's something in your mind can shift. And I can tell you right now, if I'm in my office downstairs, I'm not going to say I can't pray, but it's really hard. Because when I'm sitting behind my desk, I'm supposed to be productive, cranking out work. I'm, I'm sending out emails, I'm on the phone, I'm reading things. I just can't pray. So often what I'll do is I'll come and sit in one of the chairs outside the sanctuary in one of these nooks. And it's just as if some, I've been transported in a totally different place. It just changes my mindset. So to be successful in prayer, find you a time, find you a place, and let God show up. And then finally, just pray scripture. Pray scripture. If you're wondering what to pray, you can never go wrong. Pray scripture. Skim through the list of people you want to pray for that day. And then read your Bible. Just as you see the things in Scripture, begin to pray that into their life. You can't go wrong. Pray Scripture. And as I mentioned earlier, pray the names of God. Pray the character of God. And energize and innovate your prayer life for success and life-giving, life-changing prayer. And then finally... J.I. Packer put it this way, as in other close relationships, so in prayer, you have to find out by trial and error what is right for you, and you learn to pray by praying. People, we just need to pray. So let me call you this week. Engage with us in this week of prayer. And when you feel the cobwebs, the spider webs getting in the way, take a look at yourself. See how desperately needy you are and take a look at God and see how abundantly he wants to provide and allow yourself to be energized to push through and to make a difference in your heart, your life, and in your world.
Let's pray. Father, we are so glad that you love us. God, you want us to pray. You tell us not, don't just ask. You say, ask, seek, not keep going. And you want to answer. So God, enable us this week to pray. God, energize us as we see our own helplessness. Make us desperate. And God, fill us with hope and faith as we see your abundant, overflowing desire to provide and take care of us. And make us people who pray. For this week and the days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and receive our benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you all, both now and forevermore.